You know, I love the time of communion because it is a moment that we get to be reminded of the hope we have in Jesus. I think, again, so often we come to uh, this moment in our service and um, we can easily just focus upon our failures and all the things that we didn't do this week or all the things where the, we, we, we kind of fell short of what our hope was maybe to live or to act or things that we didn't accomplish or should have accomplished or what, all kinds of things, and, and we fail to look at the glorious reality that his, his blood is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is sufficient. And for all those that put their trust in him, we have, and I love what Peter says, an imperishable hope in him. So I hope that this Advent season has been a moment and a season for you to be reminded of that. And all of these different components, as we light a candle each week and as we think about these different things that all Christmas represents, that all of the things that Christmas represents, and with all the presents and all those different components, the most important piece, and I think most of us know this, is Jesus. And it's what he has come to deliver, what he has come to bring about, what he has come to accomplish. And we've been looking a lot about the contrast in this world and what it offers versus what he offers and uh, issues like hope and, and love and peace. And then this week, we're going to be talking about joy. And we're going to be looking at two texts of scripture this week. The first one is in Isaiah. The second one is in the book of Luke, one you're probably very, very familiar with because the one in the book of Luke is where the shepherds out in the field hear the angels come and proclaim the great news of great joy for all people. But the first is in Isaiah. And it may seem like a strange one because in Isaiah we have this command or this call for the people of Israel to sing for joy. And you're going to hear that it's to sing for joy because God has, has given, uh, he, he's given comfort and he's going to bring and give compassion. And then we fast forward all the way to Luke chapter 2 and we see the fulfillment of that. So this morning, we're going to look at first and foremost at Isaiah chapter 49. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 49, and we're going to read verse 13, and Pam is going to read for us. If you would, if you're able, please stand with us out of respect for God's Word. And uh, Pam, I'll pass it off to you. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 13 says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted. And then, as Darren was saying, we're moving over to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, Pam. Please go ahead and have a seat and join me in prayer. Father, we hear these two texts, one uh, in, uh, given to us by your prophet Isaiah, which calls us to sing for joy. 
because you have comforted your people and because you have had compassion upon your afflicted, or you will have compassion upon your afflicted. And, and then we hear this wonderful proclamation, news of great joy. Fathers, I hear that word, and I hear those statements, and I hear that call to sing for joy. I, I, I recognize in myself the temptation to put my hope and my joy and to find joy in all kinds of other things, good things, things that you've given to us, but, but to, to miss keeping my joy solely into you and in you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at this, as we engage this idea, as we we ponder and we pray and we look at your word more. Lord, I pray that you would restore to us, your people, a joy of our salvation. And not just a surface joy, but a deep, spirit-filled kind of joy that can hardly be expressed with words. Father, I know I'm not capable with my words to bring this about. You have to do so. And I think it's possible as we gaze upon you and we gaze upon your glory and we gaze upon all that you have done and the magnificence of what you have done. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would use me as a weak vessel. Father, I pray that you would lead us all into your presence in the next couple of moments. I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I shared with you a little story uh, about a Christmas morning, and it was a, a morning I was longing to get a skateboard. I'm going to share with you another little story about my, my life, my history. Uh, some of you probably remember, at least you did, at least I know, looking across this room, a lot of you grew up in the world before Amazon Prime, uh, where when you wanted something or you wanted to look at something, you actually had to go to the store. And so as a kid, um, I loved going to the store with my mom and my dad, not because I liked to shop, but because I loved the toy aisle. Well, some of y'all remember the toy aisle. Not every store even has that. Um, but they had a toy aisle, and that was the only way I knew what toys were existing. Um, there wasn't internet anymore. Uh, I know I'm, I'm kind of letting y'all know my age, but um, I only had two ways to find out new toys, Saturday morning commercials and catalogs, um, where they would send them to you. And as a kid, I would flip through them, especially Christmas time, and you'd get a whole bunch of them, and you'd just be digging through all those. But anyway, I remember one very specific moment going to the store with my mom, and, and she was doing her shopping, and I went into the toy aisle, and, and I went straight to the action figures because that was my thing. I loved to play with action figures. Very particularly, my favorite action figures were superhero action figures. Love superhero action figures. And most importantly, I had two superheroes that were my absolute favorite. If you've been around here long enough, you know at least one of them was Superman. Um, and the other was the Flash. Now, Superman, I already had a toy for Superman. But I did not have a, a Flash action figure. But when I went to this toy aisle, I saw that for the first time they had put out a brand new line of superhero action figures and the Flash was in that aisle. I was ecstatic. In fact, here's a picture of that toy. Not the original one, not mine, um, but maybe it's up there. Oh, there it is. Like that brings me joy. Like we're talking about joy. Like I know some of y'all are like, man, that is a weird looking toy. That brings me joy. That was the action figure. And so I did what every kid does when they find something like this. Um, I, I go, Mom, would you buy it for me? And her answer was, no. Her answer was, well, maybe, maybe you'll get it for your birthday, which is like a horrible thing to say to a child. Because even though my birthday was probably only like five days away, it felt like an eternity. And as a kid, I'm thinking like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, there's only one of these, 
And if it goes away, there is no Amazon. Like you don't get to go and look for another one somewhere online. Like you just wait, just wait until another one comes to the store. And so I'm like, mom, you gotta buy this. And she's like, no, maybe it's for your birthday. And so I was just totally dejected. And I got home and I was thinking, well, maybe she bought it, maybe she bought it. And so I decided that it would be a good idea for me to go on a mad hunt around the house to see if my mom actually bought the toy. And I did, and I found that thing. I found it in the deep crevices of a cubby in our house in College Hill. But this story, by the way, has a point. Um, But I found it deep in the crevices of some cubby in our house in College Hill. And I was ecstatic. I was so excited. I I could not hardly contain my joy as I waited for my birthday to come. And so I'm sure I I just started chatting nonstop about this toy all the time. And, And my birthday comes. And I start unwrapping presents, and I get to the last one, and I'm like, oh, it's the Flash. And I unwrap it. It is a bunch of stinking micro-machines. Remember micro-machines? Like, it, there was no Flash. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. There's got to be another present. And my mom and dad are like, no, that's it. I'm like, wait, something is seriously wrong. I saw that toy. Well, my mom and dad found out that I had found the toy. <laughs> and they thought it would be fun to teach me a little lesson about not trying to look for toys, which by the way, I learned, but I didn't learn not to look for the toys. I just learned not to talk about it so much if I found them. <laughs> All right, now here's, here's my point. And, and, I, and like I said, there is a point to the story. I, I was so joyful to get the flash action figure. And when they finally gave it to me later on, after they taught me the lesson, and I opened it up and I began to play with it. And I'll just be honest with you, my joy lasted for maybe a grand total of 27 minutes. And the reason why is because that toy was ridiculous. Like, it, they didn't show you on the pictures, but it, was, it just wasn't fun to play with. It had this huge white, like, wind-up thing that stuck out of its back, and its arms wouldn't move. Like, I ended up not even liking this toy. Now, here, here's the thing. Again, why do I tell you this story taking you down my memory lane? Well, the reason why I tell you is because I think it's pretty instructive on how oftentimes our joy operates in this world. And I'll come back to it on multiple occasions to help us to see uh, how oftentimes we think and see the things around us in regards to joy. Because as we've been doing, as I already mentioned this morning, we've been trying to recognize the differences between what the world offers versus what is available to those of us who trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And simply put, the world cannot, it cannot offer true and lasting joy that can only be found in God. I'm gonna say it again. The world cannot offer true and lasting joy that can only be found in God. Now listen, I wanna be very clear. Of course, this world offers us all kinds of joyful experiences. I, I, I can think of countless joyful experiences I think about with this Christmas, I'm excited for snow to come this, this, hopefully this Christmas. I mean, there's a chance, right? I would love to have a white Christmas and be able to wake up in the morning and have a hot cup of coffee while I watch snow fall down. That would bring me joy. It brings me joy to get a new camera. It brings me joy to go on a vacation. It brings me joy to be around good people, good friends. Like, these are all good things. It brings me joy to go see a good movie. Like, there is a lot of things this world provides that are joyful, And we don't want to be shameful about that. We want to recognize that. But the reality of it is, and the truth behind all of those joyful good things, is that they will all end up like that flash action figure. That joy 
will dissipate. That moment will end, the experience will go away, and we'll be looking for some other kind of joy, something else to look at. And those joys are good things, but unless they are properly understood and they hold their proper place in our hearts, they're ultimately going to leave us. And what we saw in the, in the text in Isaiah is God is calling his people to sing for joy. I want us to look at it again. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing for the Lord, for Yahweh, has comforted his people and will have compassion upon his afflicted. Now, I think about this text, and I look at this text, and it doesn't say sing so that you can gain joy or, or sing as a way of increasing your joy. Like, we do that sometimes. Like, sometimes we feel down and depressed, and so we want to sing as a way of kind of stirring ourselves up, and, and sometimes that's good. Sometimes we need to be a little careful with that, but that's not what this text says. It says sing for joy, sing because joy is there. And in fact, all of creation is joining into this song. And why? Because God has comforted his people. And because he will have compassion on his afflicted. So we begin, begin to see in this text the foundation of what godly joy is. Joy comes from an understanding that he has comforted us and that he will have compassion upon us. But reading Isaiah, you have to ask the question, how in the world could God's people of Isaiah's day sing for joy? I mean, if you don't know the story, like, like this is not a happy time for the people of God. Like when Isaiah writes that text in Isaiah 49, there's very little to sing about anything for. The people are, are, are in exile they're not in Israel. They've experienced all kinds of tragedy and difficulties. It doesn't seem like something we'd sing a lot of joy about. And you think about it and you go, okay, well, this is pointing towards Jesus. Well, that's 500 years of waiting. 500 years of waiting before the angels declare in Luke chapter 2, the news of great joy. And that's a long time. That's a long time to sing a song of joy without the realization of any kind of the promise that was given. I had joy when I found that I was getting that toy for my birthday. But what was different is I knew it was coming. See, prior to me knowing, like I didn't have joy, finding out where that toy was at and that it was coming to me, like I had joy, but it wasn't a joy that was based on any kind of faith. It was a joy based on exactly when that was coming. I knew that on February 22nd, whatever year that was, I was going to get that toy. The people of Israel had no idea. There was no promise of a specific date or specific moment when that was coming. How could, they, how could they go generation after generation singing for joy, not knowing when it was going to come, when the compassion was going to come. Because remember, he says, I, I, I've comforted my people and I will have compassion upon my afflicted. How could they sing when comfort seemed in short supply, when compassion seemed to be missing? Now, they had glimpses of it. Is the people of Israel, like, they had moments where they were sent back to Jerusalem and they got to rebuild Jerusalem and they got to rebuild the temple, but they were never free. They continued to be under the oppression of other leaders, under the oppression of, uh, of the Persians and the Greeks and on and on, all the way through Rome. Like They continued to struggle that. 
How could they have that joy? Do you ever feel that? You hear the promises of joy, you hear the promises of comfort, the promises of compassion, and you look at your life and you're like, well, where is it? I'm just struggling. Like, I feel it. I feel the need for it. I feel like I want that. I see the promise of it in Scripture, but man, like, where is it? And we hear this promise. And I think a lot of times, man, it just feels like it's in short supply in our lives. And you think about us, even as Christians, we're supposed to have seen it, aren't we? Right? Because didn't, didn't Luke proclaim the news of great joy came when Jesus was born? And yet, here we are 2,000 years later, and I'm guessing everybody here has still felt the affliction of this world. You've still felt those moments that want to rob you of joy, want to take joy from you. How are we supposed to live in that? What is, what's God called us to do in that? Did God fail 40 generations of people before, between the, the promise in Isaiah and, and the coming of Jesus? Has he failed us over the past 2,000 years? I contend absolutely not. Absolutely not. The joy comes from the comfort of promise that extends beyond this life. A promise that goes beyond a moment. I said I had joy long before I had that toy in my hand because I knew it was coming. But mine wasn't a joy of promise. It was a joy of the fact that I had seen it. For the people of Israel, the joy comes from the declaration of God's undeserved attention. Just think about the people of Israel. They had rebelled. They had failed. They had been suffering. And God says, I see you. I've seen your affliction. And I promise that statement in and of itself should be a comfort, should it not? I, I've seen your rebellion. I've seen your wickedness. I've seen your sin. I've seen your failures. But I've also seen your suffering. And I promise that I'm going to have compassion. Like that statement alone, that promise alone should bring about some form of comfort, some form of joy. It comes from a declaration of God's undeserved attention upon us. Our joy should be even more full because in Jesus, we not only have the promise of it, we have the assurance of it, we have the evidence of it, we have the source of it. It's been revealed to us, it's been shown to us in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. But we still wait. Like, we still wait. Like, we've been comforted because we can look back and see all of the hope we have in Jesus. That text that I read out of Peter when we were going into, into communion about our imperishable hope and all that we have coming. Like, we look back and see the assurance of that because Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? If he rose from the dead, it is a guarantee that he's coming again. And that there is a life after death. The people of Israel had to look forward to that comfort. But he's also said, but I also am going to have compassion upon my afflicted, those that continue to wait, which we do. And so we need to be reminded that not only does our joy come from being comforted in his promises, it also needs to come from the recognition that he has seen us, he's had compassion upon us, and he will deal with our affliction. And ultimately, our joy can only come from God. 
In Psalms chapter 4, verse 7, David makes this statement. He says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. Now, what is David saying in this? David is looking around the world, and he's seen all these different people who, in those days, wine and grain, they kind of symbolize and acknowledge like wealth and comfort and peace and security. And he's seen all these people that have all these wonderful things, and he's not, he, he's not like demeaning any of those things. He's not saying any of those things are bad, but he's saying, it's like, I'm looking at all the abundance around me. I have more joy in my heart because of what God has given than anything that I've seen in those people. Well, that's a question for us this morning, right? Like, as you look around the world and you look at all of the joys around the world, you see people going on vacations and opening up presents and you see all of these different things, can you say, like David, oh, I see all that stuff, but you have put more joy in my heart than any of those people have when they get what they want. You put more joy in my heart a joy that surpasses any earthly abundance, a joy that goes with us while we wait for the promise of the eternal. We are supposed to find joy in him now. This is one of the hardest things for me to communicate through words. And as I wrestled through it and, and just worked through the sermon trying to think, like how, how, do you, how do you communicate something that isn't about words and intellect? It's about something we feel. It's about something that we understand at the depths of who we are. How do you communicate that? And I just struggled with it. And so I, I came up with two ways that I hope maybe illustrate it a little bit. The first one is going back to my story with my, that, that toy, that flash toy. Now, when I was waiting for that toy to come and I was finding all of my joy in that toy and in the hope of that toy and I was dreaming about all the things I was going to do and all the adventures that I was going to have, you know, it would have been better and it would have been more right for me as a kid to find my joy in the presence of my parents than in that toy. It would have been better for me to recognize that my mom and dad saw me, and even though I didn't deserve it, were willing to give me good things and give me good gifts and be in their presence. And you may think and be like, well, that's impossible. No kid would think that way. And I agree with you. They wouldn't. But you know what I do think? Had, God forbid, my mom and dad passed away in a car accident while I was waiting to get that toy, I wouldn't have cared at all about that toy. All I would have wanted would have been the presence of my parents. See, the issue sometimes isn't about whether or not we find joy in the presence of other people or in, the, in, the, in someone that we love. It's whether or not we recognize it. Like we're just distracted. Let me give you another, uh, another example, but from a different perspective, from the perspective of a father. Maybe this will help us understand it a little bit more. I remember taking Sam and Ethan and Isaac uh, to France for nine weeks to serve on a mission field with Karen. Um, we got to do that. It was a great time. And as we were preparing to do that, to go serve uh, some North Africans in Marseille, we had a lot of people asking us the questions like, why would you take your kids? Like they were, I think Sam was like three and Ethan was two, something like that. They were young. And people asked you questions like, why would you do that? That doesn't seem very safe. It doesn't seem all these different things. And, and Karen and I talked a lot about that. But here's what we found out really, really fast. Our kids didn't care anything about France. 
Like they were joyful and it had nothing to do with the baguettes and had nothing to do with the ministry. It had nothing to do with the Mediterranean. It had nothing to do with the metros. You know what it had to do with? Mommy and daddy are near us. Like if you've ever had a young kid that's like two, one, two years old, they don't care where they go. They don't care what they're doing as long as mom and dad are there. Like as long as, and I saw Sam and Ethan, they just enjoyed being there because mom and dad were there. Like it was our presence that brought them joy. And I think that that's such an important component for us to be thinking about. And as I think about that, what happens over time, I think about Sam and Ethan when they were little kids Little babies, especially, like, like, like they just wanted to be in our presence, but as they grew, there was a separation that's happened. And that's normal, isn't it? But there's a separation that, that now they start to find their joy in their friends, and they find their joy in their experiences, and they find their joy in their phones, and they find joy in entertainment and in sports and all kinds of different things. And when hard things happen in their lives, like they don't run as quickly to me, or they don't run as quickly to Karen, they run into their rooms or they run to their friends, or they run to text somebody, and they're finding joy in other things. And let me just be honest with you, like it, it grieves me that I am oftentimes no longer the place of joy for them. And I get it. In that analogy, it'd be a little weird if me as a 43-year-old ran to my mom to find joy in everything, because that happens naturally for us, and that's part of life. But I did think about the fact that what changed? I didn't change. What I provide doesn't change. My love for them hasn't changed. What's changed is their proximity to me. What's changed is the things around them. And I cannot put words exactly to what it is or what causes it. But there is something about seeing a little girl and holding my little girl and finding that I am the only source of joy in her life. I don't know why. I'm the only one that can make her giggle. I'm the only one that can make her laugh. She's the one that runs to me. Daddy, 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 do this. Daddy, do that. Daddy, I want to be here. Daddy, I want to be there. Like, like this is the reality of a young kid. I don't know what drives that. If it's simplicity, I don't know if it's ignorance. I don't know if it's unbridled trust. I don't know if it's just an undistracted view and the only thing that they can see is their mom and their dad. Like, I don't know what causes it, but kids have this innate joy in the presence of their parents. And when joy in our lives only comes from people, experiences, and things, moments, feelings. Those things are going to end up as a bus, but the presence of someone like Jesus, that'll never leave us. What he came to provide is a joy in him, Emmanuel, God with us. Enjoying him, like that never fades. It never goes anywhere. It's eternal. And we've already talked a little bit about this. Now go back to that, that, that idea about my, my daughter. As as she's born, and she finds her joy in her dad, as she grows, separation comes. Not completely, but that's natural and it's normal. The gospel is a reversal of this. Here's what I mean. When you come to faith in Jesus for the first time, you are as far away from God as you will ever be. And over the next Decades of your life and all into eternity, he will be drawing you ever closer, ever closer, ever closer, ever closer, ever closer, ever closer to where your only joy is in his presence. 
in the same way that a baby's joy is in the presence of their father. And we don't start off that way. We're growing in that. Like it takes time to get there, but that's the goal. That's the point. And I don't know how to explain it in words other than to know that it's real and it's possible. We've seen this in our adoption with Jade. Like when we adopted Jade, like we were like this. And over time, she's grown to find joy just in the presence of her dad. And if you knew us at the early stages of that, that was not true. It was the opposite of that. In fact, she didn't like being around me at all. And that's okay. But now, if I tell her, hey, Jade, it's daddy-daughter date, she freaks out. She's so excited. She doesn't care where it is. She doesn't care what it's about. She just gets to be with daddy. I took her to the spice merchant a couple weeks ago. It was like I took her to Disneyland. It didn't have anything to do with a spice merchant. Like, there's nothing there for a child who's six years old to enjoy. Like, it's coffee and tea. But she just, she's like, Dad, can we go back to the spice merchant? Can we go back to the spice merchant? Because she wants to be with her dad. So the point of this joy and this idea of joy is that, that we are to find our joy just in the presence of God. And that's something that's hard to put words to until you've actually experienced it. And you've actually been in it. And I've seen it, and I know it's available, and I know what it's all about. And it's a joy that is something this world can't offer. Next, we will recognize and we'll see that our enemies will be defeated. And again, we've already talked about this in the weeks ahead. But, but again, let me help us to see why this matters for us as we think about joy. If you're a kid in school and, and some bully comes and says, hey man, like after school, I want you to meet me in the back of the, behind the school. I'm going to beat you up. That's terrifying. Well, maybe it wasn't for you. It was for me. I was skinny. That's scary. That's a scary thing. It's a scary moment to have, be face to face with an enemy and know that you're going to get taken down. But here's the thing. Think about how that story changes. If that same bully is standing in front of me saying, man, I'm going I'm to come over there. I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to take you down. I'm just going to beat the tar out of you. And, and I know my dad's listening behind the corner. I think it's funny. Right? There's a sense of joy going like, oh, you want to threaten me? You, you Go ahead. Come on, threaten. I'll just take a little step backwards, a little bit, like, get you a little closer to my dad. And then when he comes out, this isn't a fight. Because you're a child and he's a grown man. There's a joy that comes from watching your dad like punch out your enemy. Not that that's ever happened to me or that I've ever done that to my kids. So don't worry if you are, don't get it wrong with my kids. But, but you get the point, right? Like, like in Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, we literally watched him punch everything that causes of affliction in the face. He's going to put an end to it all. It's done. Like, he's ended it. It, it, They just haven't hit the ground yet. Like, that should bring us joy. Like, whatever you have causing you affliction, like, that is going to be ended. And if that doesn't bring us joy, I, I don't know what else will. But it doesn't stop there. He also ensures for us a Passover. And some of us aren't familiar with this term, but in the days of the people of Israel, they were in Egypt and they were enslaved and God was trying to deliver them or bring them out of Egypt. 
And so he went through this series of plagues. And the last plague was the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. And, and God came to the people and said, listen, if you put um, blood over your doorposts and go through these processes, then, then the angel of death is going to pass over your home. And your firstborn will be safe, but all the other firstborn are going to die. And so the people of Israel, they experienced that and they celebrated it year after year after year after year because that was the joy of the people of Israel. That was the reminder of God's great deliverance for them out of Egypt. But the people of Israel forgot over time. And then they remembered again. And in 2 Chronicles, there's this moment where it tells us of when they re-celebrated the Passover. And it says this in 2 Chronicles 30. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For this, since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. And they were celebrating the Passover because they had forgot it. Now, here's the thing. Every week, when we take these little elements, it is a reminder of our experience and a looking forward to our experience of the only Passover that matters. Like, there are two deaths. Let's just make that really clear. There are two deaths. There is one death that we will all experience in this world. It's our physical death. Jesus experienced that death. Jesus went through that death on the cross. But there is a second death. And that is a death none of us want to experience. That death is the end. That death is punishment. That death is Hades. That death is hell. So we experience the first death, and then we have before us the second death. Jesus, by the work on the cross, is providing the blood that covers us so that we will be passed over in that death. I, two people said amen to that. Like, like, that is good news of great joy. Like, I don't, listen, you can do anything you want to this body. I am eternally secure. Because when it comes to that judgment and that second death, he will pass over me. He will pass over me. I don't have to fear it. And not only does he pass over me, but he's going to offer me new life, a new body, a new earth, a new heaven with all of the people, brothers and sisters in Christ to live with for all of eternity. Like, amen. Like, this is joy. Like, in the midst of our affliction, this is joy. This world can't give joy like that. This world can't give you anything like that. This world can offer nothing that can make us sing where, oh, death, death is your victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. It can try to stave off death. It can try to use creams and medicine and all kinds of other things to try to keep you from thinking about death. But at the end, it's going to come and it can offer you no joy, only despair. Not Jesus. Jesus offers us joy that surpasses death. He defeated the first death. Listen, if Jesus doesn't resurrect... Christmas is not worth celebrating, but he did. He defeated death the first time, and he promised that for those of us that are in him, we never have to experience it the second. Man, this is joy. And him is also a clear purpose. I've talked to so many people who live their lives just aimless, 
in this world. They wake up. They don't know what to do. They don't know what their calling is. They don't know why they're supposed to live their life. Well, God and Jesus has given it to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Gordon Smith wrote this. Our deepest joy is connected to how we have been made and how we have been called. Let me say that again. Our deepest joy is connected to how we have been made and how we have been called. Think about a bird. You can clip its wings and it will still live, but it won't soar. Sin has clipped your wings. You're not able to accomplish or be who God made you to be because of sin, death, and brokenness. And Jesus says, enough. I'm giving you wings to soar. I'm going to give you a purpose. I'm going to give you a reason to exist. I'm going to give you the greatest joy ever, which is to walk with me in that purpose. This entire world, no matter what joy that it it brings about, it cannot offer that because it did not make you. He did. He made you. He knows you. He knows exactly what will bring you joy. And so again, whatever you do, we are to do it to please him. We're to be like that child that's constantly coming to their dad saying, see what I get? See what I did? See that business that I made? See that lawn that I took care of? Like, like see those kids that I helped out? Uh, so do, you, do you see what I did? Like, see, here's my artwork. Here, here's, do you see this thing that I painted? Like, any of you had those kids? We go through reams of paper in our house because of Jade. Dad, look what I drew. Look what I drew. Look what I drew. Look what I did. Look what I did. And she finds joy in that. You can too. Like constantly going to the Lord. Like, Lord, I'm doing this for you. Like, see, like I'm trying to, to, to walk in accordance with your purpose, walk in a way in which pleases you, walk in your presence, walk with you. Like, like there is joy in that. And I can't explain it unless you've been there. Unless you've done it. Unless you've found your purpose in him. And all of life changes when our purpose is found in him. Finally, one day we will be entirely in his presence. You know, there's always been a veil between us and God since the day of the fall. But throughout history, the history of God's people, he's been providing ways for us to come into his presence despite our sin. There's Mount Sinai, there was the tabernacle, there was the temple, and now Jesus. The final way, the only way. And he has opened up the door He has cracked open the door for us to be able to come into the presence of God without any separation between us. The reality for us is is that I hope that our lives is a constant, slowly opening of that door to find more and more and more joy in his presence. It's It's like if you've ever been cold in a building um, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I feel that way every day in this office. And, and like in the summertime, I joke, like it can be 120 degrees outside and I won't turn my air conditioner on in my car for like 20, like until I'm home. Like, cause it just feels so good to be in the heat. It, it's like that moment when you're cold and you feel the sun on a part of your body and you're like, oh, that's amazing. Like you just want to get more of you in it. That's the way this works. And there's going to be a day where that door is going to be flung open and you will see him as he is. And we have a promise in that. Psalm 16, 
You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Look at it. There is what kind of joy? Is it partial joy? Is it half joy? No, no, it is a fullness of joy. Like in your presence, there is fullness of joy. I just want you to read it out loud. Like you make known to me, read with me. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. Nothing else can give you fullness of joy. Nothing. And you either believe that he can bring this about, or you don't. And if you believe that he can bring this about, then you should have a joy that surpasses anything else this world can offer you this Christmas season. I can't put it into words. Not fully. But I know it. I've had the privilege of tasting it. And I know that through Jesus, God can and he will give us the fullness of joy because he gives himself to us. This is the good news of great joy for all people. It's good news of great joy because you can finally be in his presence. It is good news of great joy because in Jesus, you have a purpose. It is good news of great joy because Jesus ensures that we will never face God's wrath. It is good news of great joy because Jesus has defeated all of our enemies. It is good news of great joy because Jesus will eternally hold our joy and endlessly give it. It is good news of great joy because he has not forgotten us. He sees us. He has had compassion upon us in the midst of our affliction. And our comfort, our comfort is in what Christmas guarantees. Not in anything else. Enjoy everything you get to experience this week. I hope you enjoy your family. I hope that any fears of conflict in your family are not realized. I hope it is peaceful and I hope it is restful. I hope you experience love with your family. I hope that you experience joy when you sit down and you eat a good meal. I hope you experience joy when you unwrap those presents. I hope you experience joy when you go on those trips. I hope you experience joy when you're just watching football together. I hope you experience joy when you watch a Christmas movie like Elf. I hope you experience joy in all of those different things. But I hope none of that joy, none of that joy, clouds your eyes or distracts you from the only joy that can actually be eternal, present, and never leave you regardless of your circumstance. I hope and my prayer in this season is that we are able, all of us, to find joy in Jesus this week. Fully joy in him. Would you pray with me? Father, you know, I, I just struggled um, to try to find words to express joy in you. Like, like analogies to express joy in you. 
ways to help us understand what is available to us because there's so many other things in this world that try to distract us and try to give us a joy that's a counterfeit joy. It's not a bad joy. They're not joys we run away from. They're joys that we should, we, we should thank you for, but they're not you. I feel that temptation. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would, as we've already said multiple times, that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation today. That you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation, the joy that has come into this world through your son, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, which gives us hope. And it's not just a hope, it's an assurance of hope. It's a conviction. It's a reality. And I pray, Lord, that you would anchor us to that joy. My prayer for any this morning that are in this space today and they've never experienced a joy in you, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, open their eyes to see you. I pray that by your spirit, you would open their eyes to see their rebellion, their sin, their failures, and yet how you still had compassion upon them. That you, while they were enemies, through your son, died for them. That they might be reconciled. And I pray, Father, that they would answer that call. And they would put their faith in you. 